Okay, so we're starting a new Bible study, and I'm all excited about it because this is after the meetings that we had on revival. But just a question that I have, how many here still feel like they've revived? Still on that mountaintop. Two people in the class. My hands aren't up. Mine's are down, too. So, So that's why we need this. Because what you find is you can have your mountaintop, but then you come down. down. And then it's like, well, what happened? You know what I mean? So how this came about, I'm going to share how this came about. I had been praying and seeking the Lord because I knew we were going to start the Bible study again. And I was just like, Lord, what do you want to do with ladies? I mean, I don't know what you want for them. So I saw them for a few days, just sat quiet. And one phrase kept coming to me was seeking him seeking him. And I knew that this Bible study was available because Judy Lucas, who was a counselor for me back at Pure Life, was doing it years ago. So I looked at it and I said, I'm going to get it and just look at it to see what's in it. So the meetings had started and Glenn was preaching and in his one of his messages, he just said, Seeking him, I forgot the context, but when he said it, it just like went in me. And I just knew, okay, I'm supposed to do this. So I started it after we finished our services with them. And as I'm going through it, I'm like, this is amazing. Because it's like everything Glenn talked about and what we experienced is all in this Bible study. Yeah. Yeah. Even the prayer that I sent the supplement today, it was on Nehemiah. That was the thing that Jeff opened up with the first Sunday when he was talking about having the revival meetings. So I was like, okay, Lord, you have really confirmed that we're supposed to do this for now. So that's how this whole thing came about. And um, I just wanted to get that on tape in case anyone else is listening, that they know how this teaching came about and why we're doing it. So the name of the Bible study is Seeking Him, Experience the Joy of Personal Revival. So before I get into the teaching, I am going to pray. Lord, I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful how your Holy Spirit does lead us and guide us when we seek you. You really do show us the way to go. And you do confirm it to us. Lord, and I'm so thankful that you're a helper in that way. You're a counselor, you're a guide, Lord. You're just so many things to us in so many different ways when we just turn to you and, and are seeking you. You know how to come to us. And I do pray that you would minister to our hearts tonight through this teaching. I pray that you would minister to anyone that's listening online. And Lord, that you would revive us. Lord, I pray that you would... Continue to fan that flame in our hearts. Lord, we don't ever want it to go out. We want it to stay burning for you, Jesus. So use this class to draw us closer and closer and closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I wanted to look at at the reasons why revival is needed. And I do know that Glenn spoke on this. But in the book of Revelation, we have uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. 
we see three examples of churches in need of revival and we can apply them as a test to our own lives. The first one was a church in Ephesus. They needed revival. Why did they need revival? They left their first love. So the first test you could take to see, okay, do I need revival? If I don't love Jesus the way I once did, chances are I need a revival in my heart. I need to be revived inside. The second was the church of Sardis. Sardis needed a revival. They had an external appearance of life, but they were dead inside. And I don't know how many maybe feel dead inside before the revival meetings. Maybe you came alive during the meetings, but now you're feeling kind of like, I know Jesus came to me, but I feel dead inside. Well, test number two is if my spiritual life is defined by my activity for God rather than by intimacy with God, I need a revival. <laughs> I need to be revived again. The third church, the church of Laodicea, needed revival. And their commitment to Christ, we read, was lukewarm, right? The test the third test, if my commitment to Christ has grown lukewarm and my pursuit of holiness is compromised, chances are that I need a revival. And the fourth bonus test, we could say, can be applied if we think about the way the book of Revelation ends. The vision paints for us of eternity with God and all the joys of heaven and all the adventures that await us there. Unfortunately, that's not on the handout, but it will be on the teaching. So you can write this out. Test number four is if I've lost or neglected my sense of eternal vision and mission in the Christian life, I need revival. So what we see is revival really is for God's people who have drifted spiritually. That's why we need to be revived. And the word revive means to bring back to life. It's kind of like what happened to Janae in the hospital. I was thinking about how she coded on the table. Her heart stopped and they had to bring her back to life. Well, our hearts can stop, grow cold, stop beating for him. And we need to be brought back to life. Just like they brought Jermaine back to life. You know, and you, you can see the life in her face. I mean, she looks great compared to when we saw her the first time we saw her. So God has brought her back to life, you know, and we need that too. So what is revival? Revival is not just an emotional touch. It's a complete takeover. When we pray for revival, what we're asking is, Jesus, take me over. I want you to have control of every area, every part of my life. I just don't want an emotional experience. Why? Because emotional experience comes and goes, right? I don't want him to just take me over, you know. Um, number two, revival restores our first love, like the church in Ephesus. The love we once had for God is rekindled again. And that's a wonderful thing when that love for him is rekindled where you feel like you're returning back to that intimacy with him that you once had with him. Revival rekindles a desire for God's word, prayer, praise, and obedience. 
or I could say it this way, spiritual disciplines in our lives become a delight, not a drudgery. I'm not doing my time with the Lord because I have to do it or I have to get my hour in or two hours in or whatever it might be for you. No, I want to be with him. I want to see what he has to say to me today. I want to spend time at his feet, you know, and getting my focus on who he is. Revival resolves conflicts. So people that are in revival, usually there's a willingness to humble themselves, confess sinful attitudes in our hearts towards others. There's a desire to walk in forgiveness towards everyone, no exceptions. That's how you know God's done something in your heart when you're walking in that conviction. Revival even repairs broken marriages. What seemed impossible to man, all of a sudden we know it's possible for God to heal and restore this marriage, fix it, make it new, make it something that will glorify him. Revival removes bitterness, fear, and worry as we deal with sin in our heart or the idolatry issues in our heart. We find that the bitterness is going away from us and the fear that we had is going away from us and we're not worrying about things that we used to worry about. Revival refreshes the spirit. Acts 3.20 says times of refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. And I know we all had that time of refreshing, you know, as we were repenting, as we were preparing our hearts for a few weeks, really. God was pointing out different things, I'm sure, to all of you as he was me. And we were acknowledging them before the Lord. He met us. He met us in a beautiful way. Revival renews our mind. We're now, it's God-centered thinking. We're seeing things from his perspective rather than our own. You know, all of a sudden we have this eternal mindset. We're aware of God's presence. We're aware of his holiness. And we don't want to sin against him, habitually, willfully sin against him. Revival reforms our life by us choosing to put up all sinful habits, to put them off once and for all, like we've been reading about in Ezekiel 36, believing God's going to give us a new heart and he's going to help us to walk in his statutes, to keep his judgments, to be his people. In times of revival, we've all experienced as God's people experience his presence and his power. And it's a divine visitation or encounter with God. And Leonard Ravenhill said, as long as we're content to live without revival, we will. But what we'll see, it's not just a one-time thing. Because again, like I said, our emotions, they go up and down. They fluctuate. So that's why a class like this, I could see why the Lord laid it on my heart to do this class. So we don't think it's strange that, man, I felt like I was on cloud nine and I was like, I feel like I'm ground level now. So we don't think it's strange. I know there was a prayer that we were praying from Psalm 85, verse six and nine. The cry of our heart should be this, not just to prepare for the meetings that we had, but it really should be all the time. Will you not revive us again and again and again and again? And again, that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. 
Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. And as we look throughout scriptures, I mean, there's a bunch of scriptures we could look at. I just picked a handful here that are listed, and I'll, I'll try to read through it. I'm trying to be mindful of the time, too. But throughout scriptures, we do see the need for revival, whether it's the spiritual condition of a nation or it's the spiritual condition of God's people. We see God's heart in the midst of that. When he sees people up straight from him, we see him calling, crying out, return to me, come back, come back. Those altar calls were beautiful. Because you could hear God's heart in them. He so wanted us to come back to him. You know, all I heard was love in the voice that God used to call us to himself. And it was a beautiful thing. Second Kings 22, verse 8 through 13 and 18 through 20. I'm going to try to read through this, and I don't know if I'm going to get these names right, but just bear with me. Um, this was a spiritual condition of a nation at the time, and I couldn't help reading through this and thinking about us today in the United States of America. Then Hilkaniah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkaniah, I'm probably botching up his name, gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan, the scribe, went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hands of those who do the work who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkaniah, the priest, Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, am I saying that right? Safan the scribe and Asaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written in it concerning us. And I was thinking as I read that, what would it be like if someone walked into our administration in Washington and read the book of God's word, the book of the law to them, and they came into this awareness that we're guilty before holy God. We're guilty. And they start tearing their robes and laments and repenting. Before God, that's what was happening here. It was a national revival taking place. And these are things we can pray for. You know, as God revives us and we start seeing the condition of the land, 
It's like, God, please move on our nation, move on our leaders, move on the government, move on our, uh, the, the school system, everything, and show your glory, reveal your glory that we might come to a place of repentance. Because it's amazing, whenever you look in the Old Testament, you see there were times when there was national revival where God relented. He held back his judgments for a time. Sometimes it was a generation, sometimes it was many generations, but he held it back. You know, so God proves he's merciful. He is merciful. So we see that in verse 18 here. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. He hears us when we truly repent. When we realize I've been wrong, God, have mercy on me. He hears that cry, and he Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought word back to the king. Eventually, judgment would come, but it wouldn't be in his time. You know, and I, as I was reading that, I was like, wow, Lord, maybe I'll be lucky to not see what's coming you know, down the road, maybe it'll happen 20 years from now, but I'll be with Jesus, Lord willing. <laughs> you know, if he doesn't come for me by then, and I won't see it. There might be some in this room that'll never see it. That if we pray, God will relent for that, a generation or so, maybe 70 years. Maybe your whole generation, you'll never see God's judgments in the way that we read in the book of Revelation that's coming. Because we know it's going to come. Then we have Ezekiel the priest. I'm going to read this too. In chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. Now this we see the spiritual condition of God's people. And as I was reading through this, I kept thinking about what Jeff shared on Sunday, just from Ezekiel 36. You have the call and then the cleansing. Right? So we saw in that last chapter, really, the call return. Repent. I want to cleanse you. And we see that now with God's people. Now, while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men and women and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehovah, Hael, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away 
all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of your God, of our God, and let them be according to your law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility, and we also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. So Ezra the priest is giving them instruction. You know, he's telling them, what you're doing is not pleasing to the Lord, but you need to do what God's word says. You need to put this off. You need to repent of it. Then Ezra arose and made the leaders of the priests, the Levites, and all Israel swear an oath that they would do according to this word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up from the house of the God and went into the chambers of Jehothathan, the son of Elishab. And when he had came there, he ate no bread and drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. So we see there's like really an emotional response here going on, just the weeping, the brokenheartedness of just the reality of the sin among the people. And they issued a proclamation through Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem and whoever would not come within three days according to the instructions of the leaders and elders, all his property would be confiscated. And he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from the captivity. Wow, that seems pretty severe, huh? Sounds like church discipline, right? So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th of the month. And all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling, trembling because of this matter. And because of the heavy rain, it's probably cold too. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. So I know we've heard this. Our sin affects everyone. And that's what was happening here. It's affecting the whole group of people in Israel by them taking pagan wives. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. Don't go near them. Don't touch the unclean thing. We heard that right on Sunday. Then I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, yes, as you have said, so we must do. They agreed with God. They agreed with him. So I'm not going to read through Jeremiah. You can read through that. I listed all the scriptures that pertain to this week's homework. So you can take it home and go through it yourself. But in Jeremiah 3, you really see God's heart. Because here we see him dealing with the nation, right, and kings. Then we saw him dealing with the people, his people, right? Now we see his heart. We see God's people have perverted their way and they forgot about the Lord their God. Yet God's love call was crying out to them. And the call was return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, 
Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. And if we want to return to God, what we see here, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts, to break up that hard, barren ground that we feel inside of our spiritual lives. Fallowed ground once plowed, but now lying waste must be tilled or broken up with a sharp plow in order to make the soil ready for seed and ultimately fruit and productive. And those women in this class that are farmers <laughs> that are planting, you know what this is, especially here, the clay, the ground here is like, if we don't have rain, it's hard like rock. It's hard to break through the soil here. No matter how hard you try, you need rain to do that. So it's interesting because one morning I was sharing this with Glenn and Jesse. I was sitting in the front. I have different places in my house where I'll sit and read my Bible, whether it's downstairs on the deck in the front of the house. I move all over the place because I just change my I change it a lot. You know what I do with the Lord. So one morning I said, I'm going to sit in the front. I read my Bible, and I think as cars go by, I could pray for my neighbors as they're going up and down the road. But I'm sitting there, and I'm reading, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said, put the Bible down, put it down. Go pull all those weeds in my, where all my plants are, because I had a lot of dead weeds there. I mean, they were covered in weeds, and I haven't been able to get to them, but I, I sense them saying, put the Bible down. Pull all of it out. And as I'm pulling weeds, pulling weeds, the Holy Spirit speaking to me, saying this is what I'm going to do. This is before the meeting started. This is what I'm going to do in the church. I'm going to pull out all the weeds. I'm pulling it all out. I'm going to clean up the beds. That's what he was telling me to do, clean up the beds so that the new growth can come. So the plants can be healthy. And I knew it was a word from the Lord. I just knew in my spirit it was a word of knowledge that he had given me for the meetings. And I shared it with Glenn and Jesse. I said, this is what I believe God's going to do. Sure enough, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. All the dead wood, all the dead weeds in our lives, in our heart in the church, being all pulled out. But it's so the new growth can come. Because you should see my plants. With the rain we've been getting, and I got all that stuff off, they're beautiful. They're healthy. They're standing firm. They're beautiful. But had not the weeds been pulled out and the rains come, they'd still look the way they did. And they look pretty pathetic. They look pretty bad, but not anymore. So I keep holding on to that. So why is revival necessary? You know, in light of that and what we went through the past few days in the meetings, again, why is it necessary? Well, what we don't realize in James 4, verses 4 through 8, James tells us adulterers and adulteresses, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Spirit says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? He really does. And again, we heard that love call, him yearning for us. He yearns for us. But the spirit of this world, it deadens us inside. It really does. It deadens us to the things of God, where the things of this world become more important than the things of God. And again, here we see God's love call in this portion of scripture where James says, draw near to God. If you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And some of you did this these past few days and continue to do it. Or maybe you were doing it before even the meeting started. God was putting his finger on the things of this world that we make more important than him. And we were already letting God deal with those things. So we should be encouraged knowing that he was preparing us, but he was also calling us. Yet he still wants to take us deeper into himself, where he's everything to us. He's everything. If we lose everything, it doesn't matter because we have Jesus, and that's all we need. That's all we need is him. And when you see the way things are going, that could very possibly happen, where we lose everything. But if we have Jesus, we have everything. We have everything we need. Again, revival is necessary because Jesus told us in Mark 4, verse 19, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, they enter in, they choke the word out of our heart, and it becomes unfruitful. So this is why we need revival. But like I said, not just one weekend, one time a year. We need it every day. I feel like I need it every day. Because what I experienced this past weekend or before that, I feel like it's already. And one of the things that the service that we went to in New York that I shared with some of you about that the pastor had spoke to us afterwards, he said, God's going to do what you're praying for. He's going to do it. But make sure after he does his part, you fan the flame. Keep fanning it. Keep the fire burning. That was specific word to us. Keep letting it burn. Keep fanning it. Keep fanning it. Keep. So that's what we're doing. It's like, we don't want that fire to go out. We want it to stay burning. And then the thing with the fire that's burning, just think about when you take a match and you light it, and if it's close to all the matches, the whole matchbook will go out. 
Well, don't you want to be like that match? Yeah. Where everywhere you go, people are getting all burned up with the presence of God, the fire of God. Yeah. That's what we want our lives to be, right? Yeah, we do. We do. So we see, again, the heart of God in Hosea 10, verse 12 and 13. And then in Hosea 14, 1 through 4, this is his heart. He says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Again, break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and reigns righteousness on you. And that phrase just jumped off at the page before we started those meetings. God wants to rain righteousness on us. And we need to seek the Lord until that happens. Until we know we're walking in righteousness before him and before others. That's not a one-time thing. That's ongoing. Because someone can say something to you in a bad way or do something that really breaks your heart. And you got to work through that. Right? I mean, are you really hurt because of the way they did it maybe or what they said about you that isn't true maybe? It's a lie. And you got to work through that. It's like, Lord, I'm not walking in righteousness right now because right now I want to like bop them in the head or something. <laughs> right? So, God, bring righteousness down on me so my heart is right before you and before others that I can walk in love the way you love. You were hurt. You were betrayed. You were despised. You were rejected. You were spoken ill of. But nothing came out of you but love. I'm not there yet. But he knows how to get us there. He knows how to get us there. So. Hosea 14, verses 1 through 4 says, O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you've stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all our iniquity. Revive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands. You are our gods, for in you the fatherless finds mercy. I will heal their backsliding, and I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. So again, we see God wants to do mercy. He wants to turn away his anger from judging our sin. But if we're dealing with it, his anger is turned away. He's like, okay, I receive you. Come, come, come to me. Come to me. Lord, I'm not going to Assyria anymore. I'm not looking to the world because the world's falling apart. I can't put my security in anything out there. None of it. I'm not looking to Assyria. I'm looking to you. You are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. If you provided Jesus a sacrifice for my sin, what makes me think you're not going to provide for the other needs I have? You're faithful. You've been faithful. You've been faithful, faithful, faithful to me all these years. How can I doubt you now? You never change. You never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a scripture after scripture of saints that testify to God's faithfulness even when they weren't faithful. He remains faithful. Syria shall not save us. 
We're not going to ride on horses. We're not going to go the way of the world. We're not going that way because we see. We see where it's heading. But you're preparing us for another kingdom. That's what this is all about. You are trying to prepare us for your kingdom because you are coming again. I don't know how that's going to look like or when that is or what it's going to be like, but I do know you're coming again. But you say you're coming for a pure and spotless bride. So could this be a part of that? Reviving our hearts so we get our focus where it needs to be so we're ready for when he comes. I keep thinking about what Glenn shared about make sure the fire is burning. There's oil in your lantern and you can only fill your own lantern. I can't fill it for you. I can just point you to the source. But we got to be the ones that are allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us and fill us and fan that flame. That was a direct word from heaven, from this pastor to us. Fan that flame. God's going to come in all of his glory. And I know, I think it was the second night, I walked straight over to Glenn and Jesse. I said, God kept his promise. And they were like, what are you talking about? I said, the pastor in New York, he said this was going to happen. God kept his promise to us. He's done it. But I told him, I said, you know what he said too? Make sure you keep fanning it. And they knew it was the word from the Lord when I said that. They said, yeah, make sure you keep fanning it. Don't let it go out. Don't let it go out. So in revival, we experienced what this gentleman said. I'm not going to try to say his name because I already botched up his name that I tried to read today. And you could all correct me afterwards and tell me how to say it the right way. Revival awakens in our heart and increased awareness of the presence of God, a new love for God, a new hatred for sin, and a hunger for his word. And this is what should be happening, you know, in us. We're more aware of God's presence. We do have a a love for him that is like coming back to life. It's just coming back to life. New hatred for sin. We don't want any compromise. You know, we're still going to get angry, resentful, bitter. But we can choose to say, I'm not living there. I'm choosing to let this go. Choosing to let it go. And hungering for his word. I can't get enough of your word, Lord. I can't get enough. I want to listen to your word in the morning. I want to listen to it at night. I just, I can't get enough. I can't get enough. Aren't you thankful that God draws us back to himself in that way? I am. I am. Because if he didn't, we would just... Fall off the cliff, like the sheep. You know that picture they have of Jesus reaching the sheep that's over the cliff trying to, we'd be like that, you know. Holding us, pulling us back in. Again, we started out with the three churches in Revelation, but the church in Ephesus, if you remember, they left their first love. God didn't go anywhere. They were the ones that left him. And Jesus told them, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come quickly 
and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And when you read that, you realize this is serious. Because that church isn't there anymore. It's not there no more. Most of that area there is all Muslim. Yeah. It's not there. So to me, it tells me, again, God means what he says. He gives grace, he gives grace, he gives grace, he gives grace, he gives the mercy, he gives mercy, but eventually he draws a line. He said, sit. Keep rejecting me. What's left to do? But we can repent, which is wonderful. Remember, repent, do your first works. Remember what it was like when you walked with him close. See, the church in Ephesus lost sight of Jesus. Their love for him had lost its fervor, and they had transferred their affections elsewhere. So script, uh, questions you could ask yourself, and again, this is going to be a part of the homework. Next week, attached to the handout, there's a bunch of questions. I had went through it in my book and I said you know what this is so good I just typed it out I said I'm going to give it to you as a handout but next week's class is just going to be all on that handout so we just I want you to go through it prayerfully but we're going to have bring that back but we'll have a time of discussion over what God showed us on that handout okay so take your time going through it but questions you can ask yourself now is was there ever a time in your Christian life when your passion for Christ was stronger? And I had to look at that and I said, yeah, there have been several times where my, my pursuit of the Lord was a lot stronger than what it has become. A lot stronger. Different seasons in my life where, man, I was just like, Jeff would leave the house, I'd be like, and I would just shut myself in with the Lord on my knees, just loving on him, loving on him. It's, it's not like that, you know, because other things distract us. God's bringing me back to that place. But you realize when you've strayed, it's hard to get back there again. But you have to remember do the first horse, the walking. She, she, uh. I think I shared with some ladies, I started walking again. Yeah, that's been wonderful. So what has put out that fire? You know, we have to look at what has put out the fire, that passion that we once had, or maybe we never had it. But we need to look at, well, what put it out? I got busy. I got distracted with other things. Checking emails at home when I shouldn't be checking emails at home, checking the news, like something's going to change every two minutes. Facebook, well, let's see how the family is all over the place and what they're writing. Distractions. Oh, that rug is really wore out. I think I got to get a new one from Amazon. Distractions. These were things that God was dealing with me before the meetings. And I was like, okay, Lord, I see it. I see it all. And you know what he said? You know how you pull those weeds out? Time to pull it out. Time to pull it out. If you want me to do in you what I am promising in Ezekiel 30, 36, it's time for you to do your part. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you're serious. He's serious because he's coming back. He's coming back. 
And, you know, I listened to a preacher the other night and he said, you know, in every generation, they always said Jesus is coming back, even in Paul's day. He said, but you have to look at it where we are today, where technology, where we are at with technology and cryptocurrency, we have never been at this place before. And I was like, this is serious. That's why God's serious with us. He wants us to be ready. He just wants us to be ready. Have we transferred our love for God to some other place? You know, these are questions we have to be honest and ask ourselves. Are there any rivals that could be competing with your love for Jesus? Sometimes it could be the kids, the grandkids, the sports, the having to do this, having to do that, having to do the other thing. The dog. I mean, Jeff told me the other day, I think Eli's an idol for us. I'm like, don't say that. <laughs> I know he is. I know he is. <laughs> Little things like that, you know, and it's like, well, okay, Lord. (laughs) So as you examine your heart, when you go through that handout, just be honest. You know, I started going through it. I was like, okay, this is so far I'm doing good. But when I got like more into it, I was just like, oh, my goodness. Lord, help me. Help me. I'm not where I think I'm at. So you'll probably have the same experience as I did going through it. But bring it next week so we could just talk about it. And we're just going to get honest with each other, share what our struggles are. Because it helps. It helps to be able to get that out in the light. And then, you know, there's accountability. And for us that are married, it's great because your husband's the best accountability that you could have. And vice versa. (laughs) Yeah, vice versa. But I want to read to you the promise before we close this class. And I think I'm supposed to be done around now. So Ezekiel 36, 25 through 26. This is what we're believing the Lord for. I believe he started it. But we're going to hold on until we see the completion of this. God said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. Every time we acknowledge our sin and say, yes, Lord, I see that idol. I want it out of my life. I acknowledge it and putting it before you. He's cleansing us. He said, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Lord, these horrible attitudes in my heart that I have towards people. God, when they do something wrong or say something, cleanse me from that. Things I put before you, the idols, cleanse me from that. He promises, I will, if you let me do this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. Of course, this was to Israel, but it's to God's people. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And that should be the cry of our heart that God would do this in us. Before there can be revival, real revival, in the church, the, the church on a whole, not just Lighthouse, but the church on a whole, the nation, and even our world, it has to start in us first. 
Because again, you think about when there's a fire burning, the closer you get to other people, you ignite something in them. And we need God. We're in an hour where we need God personally. We need him as a church. And we need him in our nation. And we need him in the world. Man is not going to fix where we're at in this world. Don't put your hope in Assyria. Man's not going to fix it. And don't believe the false prophets on Facebook that are saying it's going to be better than it was before. No, it's not. They're not reading their Bibles. Because in Jeremiah's day, there were prophets that were saying peace and safety. And Jeremiah looked like a fool because he preached, he preached a hard message. But God bless him. He never had one convert either. But he was faithful to the Lord. He was faithful to proclaim the message that God had given him. Would to God we be faithful in the same way. In the same way. So I want someone else to close us in prayer. If they, whoever feels led to close us, I don't want to be the one, but maybe someone can close us out in prayer along those lines, and then we have to go back into the sanctuary. So whoever feels led to close out, you can close out. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying, sir.